The Book of the Prophet Zephaniah Zephaniah lived during the final decades of the southern kingdom of Judah. It was when King Josiah had attempted to bring about real change in the land by removing idols and restoring the temple to the worship of Israel's God alone. But Israel was just too far gone. Worshiping other gods was too entrenched in the life of the people. And it ended up that Josiah's pride led him to a tragic death on the battlefield as he set Jerusalem on a collision course with Babylon. And Zephaniah, he had seen all of this coming. For years, he had been warning the leaders of Jerusalem. And this little book is a collection of his poetry summarizing his message. It's designed to have three main parts. The first focuses on the day of the Lord's judgment coming on Judah and Jerusalem. The second part is about the day of the Lord's judgment on the nations and Jerusalem again. And then the third section explores the hope that remains for the nations and for Jerusalem on the other side of God's judgment. The first section opens with the shocking reversal of Genesis 1. So God's good, ordered world is going to descend back into disorder and darkness and chaos, becoming uninhabitable once again. And as you keep reading, you realize Zephaniah is developing all of these powerful poetic images to describe how Jerusalem's world is going to end. All of the city's institutions for worshiping the gods of the Canaanites will be destroyed. All the leaders who perpetrated injustice, all the economic centers where crooked lending and borrowing took place, all of it will be gone along with the city's walls. Zephaniah develops these almost apocalyptic images to show the significance of what's going to happen. It all refers to a great army that is coming to take out Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting that Zephaniah never mentions whose army God's going to use to bring this judgment. Now, we know from the other prophets, Micah or Habakkuk, that it's Babylon. But Zephaniah never mentions that. And it's because he wants to highlight God's role in orchestrating the rise and fall of the city. And actually, that's what gives Zephaniah hope. Not that Jerusalem as a whole can avoid its fate, but in the closing poem of section 1, he calls on anyone in Jerusalem who would seek the Lord. And he says, these will make up the faithful remnant, the people who could be spared if they repent. In the second section, Zephaniah widens his focus to include the nations around Judah. So the Philistines or Moabites, the Ammonites, even the Assyrians. He accuses all of them of corruption and violence and arrogance. And he predicts that all of them will fall before Babylon too. And what's shocking is that the final people group targeted in this section are the Israelites in Jerusalem. It's like the leaders and prophets and priests of Israel are so corrupt and violent, so estranged from their God, that he doesn't even recognize them as his people anymore. And so this section ends with God's final decision. He says he's going to gather up all the nations, including Jerusalem, and pour out his burning indignation. God's justice becomes this consuming fire that devours evil from the land, which is really intense. And so the following line that brings us into the final part of the book comes as a total surprise. We discover that this burning fire of divine judgment is not aimed at destroying people. Rather, its purpose is to purify the nations, including Jerusalem. So the section begins as God says that he's going to heal and transform the rebellious nations into one unified family. And that after being purified, they're going to turn from their evil and call upon the name of the Lord. These images point to the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 that God would find a way to bless the nations and Jerusalem as well. 
The conclusion of the book focuses on the restoration of the city at the center of the nations. God's presence is there in the restored city, along with that faithful remnant that's been humbled and transformed by God's mercy. And they're called to sing and rejoice. And then in this striking image, we're told that God is a poet who wants to sing too. Your God will live among you, and he will celebrate you with songs of joy, Zephaniah says. The closing poem of the book ends with these very powerful images about God gathering up into his family the outcast and the poor and the broken, where he exalts them into a place of honor. And that's how the book ends. This little book of Zephaniah, it contains some of the most intense images of God's justice and love that you find anywhere in the prophets. His justice is about his passion to protect and rescue his world from the horror of human evil and violence. God won't tolerate the horrible things that humans do to each other and to his world. But he brings his justice in order to restore, in order to create a world where people can flourish in safety and peace because of his love. And so Zephaniah forces us to hold together these two aspects of God's character, his justice and his love. And he wants us to discover that together they contain the future hope of our world. And that's what the book of Zephaniah is all about. Pretty good stuff, huh? It's awesome. So justice and love being held together, and those are tough things to hold together. Justice and love. We're going to look at that a little bit today. You know, um, I, uh, I still have nightmares. Of course, I don't remember it being my fault. But nevertheless, I would get marched down the long hallway my own personal green mile on my way to the Punisher's dungeon, otherwise known as mom and dad's room. And then from under the bed would dawn the weapon my dad would yield against the soft flesh of my backside. It was a, it was a thick paddle-shaped pain inflictor My uncle had forged it with the sole intent of transforming my white skin into throbbing shades of pink. And it was very effective. Well, this common ritual was always followed by a chat about the nature of my indiscretion and the assertion that somehow the episode was more painful for my father than it was on my flogged backside. Now, I did not really understand how that could be possible until I became a father. And I learned what it meant to hold together these concepts of justice and love. And Zephaniah gives us this this very drastic perspective of both sides of this, of God's immense justice and his unrelenting love. And it's beautiful how he joins these two together to help us see a different perspective of his judgment. Now, we've been working through a series on the minor prophets, and we've been seeing uh, week after week Uh, embedded in the language of destruction and despair, the, the thread of God's love and redemption. 
And now in Zephaniah, he writes this little three-chapter book that kind of culminates all these into one intense proclamation of God's love. That it's not just about God uh, being angry and pouring out his wrath, but some of the purpose behind that and his love in the middle of that. So as, um, as the, the video stated, we get to see these two aspects of God's character being held together. We, we see that the ultimate goal that God had was not to destroy his people, but it was actually to restore his people. That God's judgment was being poured out for the restoration of his people. Now, God hates wickedness. He hates wickedness, and he loves his people and doesn't want them to have to endure the wickedness of the world. And so God punishes the wickedness, but he actually protects those in, that are his people. And he punishes the wickedness so that he can protect his people. It's an interesting parallel here of God's punishment and protection. Let's pray together as we get started, and then we're going to take a look at that together. Lord, I pray that as we open your word today, that you would open our hearts for your, for your message and your word and your Holy Spirit to deposit something in us. Lord God, I pray that we would be open to being impacted by you in a way that transforms our living. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So both punishment and protection. So now let's get started here. You uh, jump into chapter one, verse two. Verse one is a little bit of introduction and then verse two, it just gets right to the point. Here's is how we starts, Zephaniah starts his book. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Hallelujah. God's word for you this morning. This is how Zephaniah starts. A little harsh, right? It's like, man, did God wake up on the wrong side of the cloud today? He's going to wipe away everything. Mankind, animals, you name it. He's done with it. The wickedness of this earth, he's going to destroy it all, sweep it away. It's a little harsh. But then if you go down a little bit, in chapter 2, verse 3, you start to see God's heart not just to punish the wickedness, but to protect his people. And there in verse 3 it says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. It's an invitation that God is giving us that despite the judgment that those who seek after him would be be hidden from his wrath, would be hidden from his anger against wickedness because they have have changed their, their lives from the wickedness to finding their hope in who he is. Zephaniah gives us this drastic uh, difference in perspective here of the God who destroys and punishes and will wipe everything off the face of the earth and the God who will protect his people and hold them close, those who humble themselves before him. And so we see 
the blessing of his judgment. The blessing of his judgment is that he refines a people who genuinely seek after the Lord. He refines them to live righteously because his heart is not to destroy people. His heart for you is that you would be restored as his people. That's God's burning love for you as his people. That is his desire. But that refining process that he takes us through, that's never easy, right? That's never easy for any of us. And you've probably heard the illustration when we talk about refining, it's, we always talk about refining of metals because it's, un, it's when they turn the flame up and melt down metals that they can remove the impurities and they're left with, in, like in the case of gold, they're left with like 99.9% pure gold because they melt it down and they remove all the impurities. It's a picture of God's refining fire in our lives and that's his judgment. And so if you see his judgment as a vehicle of his love, we can actually begin to see his judgment as a blessing. That's crazy, right? Judgment as a blessing? Hello? That doesn't make sense. But in God's upside-down kingdom where he restores people, it makes absolute sense that he would use that to accomplish his glory. Let's take a look at that. This morning, we're going to look at that blessing of judgment. We're going to take a look at what God's judgment was meant to produce in his people so that we can pursue those things in our lives. So first of all, the first blessing of God's judgment is the blessing of a changed posture. The blessing of a changed posture. So now I have this with me this, this glass here. I want to ask you what you see when you look at this. Don't, don't say, just, just think for a moment what, uh, what it is that you see when you take a look at this. So this is the classic glass half empty, glass full, half full, right? So some of you maybe saw that it's half full of water, or maybe some of you saw that it's half empty. And so this represents our perspective that we can have sometimes. Now we're talking about our posture, and and the perspective that we have in life can radically transform our posture. Here's how that kind of unfolds. So your perspective on this, maybe you saw that it was half empty. That translates into your attitudes towards life. Your perspectives directly correlate to your attitude in life. Maybe you are a negative person or maybe you are a positive person. And it affects the attitude in which you go about your daily life. But our attitudes also go a step further and affect our actions. So our perspectives and our attitudes, they start to change our actions and the way that we respond to things. And ultimately, those things result in changed relationships, don't they? Our attitudes, our actions, our, po- our, our perspectives, those things change the relationships that we have with people. 
Now, God is calling his people to a different perspective that ultimately results in a different attitude and action and relationship. And the different relationship that he's after is the relationship with him. We have a relationship with the world. We have a relationship with those around us. We also have a relationship either positively or negatively with God. And he he will use our perspective in the world to transform our relationship with him. So what he calls for is nothing less than an absolute change in our posture in how we perceive God. This is what it looks like here. In Zephaniah 3, 12 through 13, he says, But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there uh, be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. He's talking about a change in the posture of their lives. That once they were postured with the perspective to be out for themselves, they were postured with a perspective of, of arrogance and pride and idolatry. And Jesus, through here, God is saying, I want you to change your posture towards me. I want you to change your posture to a humble and lowly people. You see, it's under the humility before God that he can begin to refine us and transform us. That that he can take us from destruction through his love into being his people. It's, It's an amazing transformation that takes place. It's amazing transformation that takes place because the the people that he's talking to, the people were marked, here's what their posture was. They were marked by idolatry, by greed, by hypocrisy, by pride, by rebellion. That's what that was the posture of their lives. And the text of Zephaniah is he doesn't just go after the nations in some general sense. He actually calls out the religious people in the nation of Israel. These are God's people. And that's the posture of God's people. And so he's saying, I'm going to pour out my judgment because I want to bless you with my love. I won't leave you there. I won't leave you in your arrogance and your pride. I will humble you so that you can experience a different posture of your life. Postured in, in me and in my grace and in my love. So here's the cool thing about Zephaniah. Here's the cool thing, that at, when our posture begins to change, it actually describes that God's posture of love towards us changes as well. So God, he always has a posture of love towards us. We are his creation and he deeply loves us. But his posture of love towards us gets to transform and change as well from judgment to preservation and protection from punishment to protection over his people so we we see not only a radical transformation in us and how we relate to god we see this radical transformation in how god relates to us and and postures himself 
towards us. It's pretty cool. Zephaniah 3.17, he, it demonstrates this. He says, He, the Lord, will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I love the picture here of a God who sings over us. We gather here on Sunday morning so that we can praise and worship God. And sometimes we don't picture it coming the other way as well. That as God's people, he actually wants to sing over us. That's the delight that he finds in a people that is restored and is refined to posture their lives in relationship with him. That he, he delights in that so much that he would sing over us and rejoice with us. That's a different kind of a relationship than pouring out judgment in his justice. So here's a question for us to consider. Just introspectively this morning, am I pursuing a posture of humility before the Lord? See, that, uh, that humble and lowly perspective of, of posture before the Lord is what he says was the vehicle to begin to change his judgment into a blessing of preservation and protection. It's a people that take a humble posture before the Lord to worship Him first and foremost in their lives. Do you take that posture in your life? I know you come and you, you hear the God's Word and we gather together and these are dynamic times, but do you take that posture in your life? Do you live in that posture? It's a good question for us to, to ask. The second blessing of God's judgment is the blessing of a changed praise. The blessing of a changed praise. Now, Zephaniah is painting this picture of God's restored people praising his name. <coughs> Excuse me. In the video, we got the little illustration of the people up on the walls of a restored city with their little trumpets, praising the Lord. That they're bringing praise to God. And it's a stark contrast to a people who he just described as praising themselves in their own pride, in their own arrogance, in their own system of life, in their own values of praising themselves. Who or what do you praise with your actions and your values? That's a deep cutting question. Because when we praise it, we praise all kinds of things. And praise, actually, we, depending on what we're praising, it changes our posture towards God, and it changes His posture towards us. Are you praising God with your life? Is he, is he have, does He have the value system in your life that puts Him as the number one in your life? When that's the case, instead of fearing His judgment, we can rejoice in praise for his grace we can rejoice and that's what zephaniah 3:14 describes when it says sing aloud o daughter of zion rejoice and exult with all of your heart o daughter of jerusalem he's talking about a restored people that are praising in a much different way they're praising god because he has restored them 
He has refined them to the place of a totally different posture in their lives where they get to experience all of who he is. And so they rejoice and they praise. And it says, O daughter, rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem. I love that imagery because it's, it's like he's saying, when you praise me in that way, I can relate to you in a different way. I can relate to you not as the wicked that I have to pour out my judgment on to bring to this point, but I can relate to you as my daughter, my own, my beloved, in relationship with me, my own flesh and blood. There's a much different relationship going on here when we turn our praise to Him. A restored people are those who worship God with their praise. Not just on a Sunday morning, not just when Danny and the team are up here leading us in songs of praise, but when your life is marked as praise before the Lord. That your actions, they sing the praises of who God is. That you demonstrate that with your life. Well, next, uh, a next blessing of God's judgment is the blessing of a changed presence. The blessing of a changed presence. So here, the, the picture is that the refining of God's people through judgment actually opens them up to the presence of God in a totally different way. And so one of the blessings of his judgment can be that we experience his presence in a different way. Now, there's a couple different uh, ways that you can take presence. Somebody's presence cannot be such a great thing, right? It can be a negative thing. It can bring fear. For example, I'm reminded of this every March when the March Madness College Basketball Tournament rolls around. And all of the, a lot of the games are played during the day. And college basketball tournament is amazing. There's buzzer beaters. There's some of the best games of the year. So they're, they're, you don't want to miss these games if you're a college basketball fan. But they schedule, there's so many games, they schedule them all throughout the day, back to back to back. And so CBS, instead of just broadcasting on, on TV, they actually broadcast the games live on the internet. And uh, because people feared the presence of their boss walking into their office while college basketball is being played on their computer screen and productivity is going down through the floor, because people feared that what might happen with the presence of their boss, CBS created what they call the boss button. And so right next to the screen where it's playing the game live, you can click if your boss comes in real quick. One click will tr- mute the vol- volume and transform your computer screen into a spreadsheet. <laughs> All of this because we fear someone's presence. Now you know the person, you could probably think of somebody who when they walk into a room, it changes the dynamic of the room by their presence. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not so good, their presence. A good example of of somebody's presence is 
uh, I'm sorry to do this. I'm an Angels fan. I'm sorry, Dodger fans. I know, <clears throat> I know you're doing great in the playoffs. I know you have a much better record. But Dodger fans beat each other up. They beat each other up in the parking lot. You're all, you all are a rowdy bunch. And so a few, couple years ago, because of lawsuits over people beating each other up, Dodger Stadium had to add all this extra security. And so now when you go to a Dodger game, everywhere you go, there's security in the, in the, in the park and in the parking lot. And it's because of their presence there that you feel safe and comfortable going to a Dodger game. Because they changed the dynamic of an entire stadium by their presence. TSA has done this with flying, right? Everybody was freaked out to fly after September 11th. And so our nation responded and established TSA, who now screens everything. We have air marshals on our planes and we feel safe to fly because of the presence of TSA and air marshals. And so today, air traffic is at an all-time high, and we feel safe flying because of, God's, or because of their presence. Now, God's presence works the same way. So God's presence brings fear to those who are walking in wickedness. When God walks into a room, and you're not walking with him, Uh Uh-oh, right? That's scary. But when you're walking with God and your life is postured in a way of humbly uh, accepting his his role in your life and you have that relationship of of praise where he welcomes you in as his daughter, he was walking into the room. His presence is something that is, is enjoyed. It's something that's desired. It's something that brings safety and security, something that brings comfort and joy. And so one of the blessings of God's judgment is that we actually get to experience that refining process that brings us to a point of experiencing God's presence in a totally different way. And so we as God's people get to welcome God's presence in our lives in a different sort of way, that, a different way that, that saturates our lives. We, in fact, when Jesus was here on earth, God, God wanted us, he wanted to be present with his creation. So he sent Jesus to be with us, and, and that wasn't enough. He wanted to be present with his, with his people. And so he left us his spirit to reside and go with us, to live inside of us, that we never would have to be without God's presence. To someone who's not walking with God, that's terrifying. Because God's presence means judgment. But for those who have postured their lives correctly, God's presence is a powerful game changer. Look at verses uh, 15 through 17 here in chapter 3. It says, The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On the day, on that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. What a difference in the presence of God, right? That we don't have to experience just the, the punishment of his, of his judgment. 
that we get to be refined and have a different posture for our lives that welcomes God's presence in a way that welcomes Him and has this deep, this deep connection with Him. So a good question for us to ask is simply, are we pursuing the presence of God in our lives? Is that something that is daily a part of who we are, that we say, God, go with me, go before me. I need your presence today. I want to posture my life today to receive your presence and let that guide my actions. Well, finally, the last blessing of God's judgment is the blessing of a changed position. A blessing of a changed position. Now, God restores, through his judgment, his people to a new position. Take a look at uh, in Zephaniah. Now, this is the end of the book. This is what Zephaniah wants to leave us with. He says in, in verse 19, Behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and and renown in all of the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At that time I will gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Now isn't that a changed position? from the position of being the recipients of God's wrath because of the sin and the arrogance of our lives. Wow! Zephaniah paints this huge contrast. He starts the book with, I will wipe away everything off the face of the earth. And he ends the book saying, I will bring you a new hope. I will deal with your oppressors and in protecting you. I will gather you together. In fact, the, the, the picture here, the contrast is amazing. He takes us from oppressed to free. He takes us from lame to healed. He takes us from outcast to adopted, from shame to praise, from scattered and alone to gathered. He takes us from voiceless to renowned in all of the earth. And he takes us from destitute to fortunes that yeah that is something that is the heart of god that is why he poured out his judgment it's not because he's a mean vindictive god it's because he his heart for his people would be that they would be set free and released and he will relentlessly pursue us no matter what it takes for us to transform our posture before him and say, God, that's what I want you to be in my life. And when we say that, he responds and his posture to us changes. His presence enters in and we get to experience the full love and protection of our king. There's a great story that I came across that illustrates this. In fact, a few years ago, the Today Show did a feature story on it, and it's the the story of a man named Cornelius Anderson III. He actually goes by the name Mike. So back in in 2000, I know, right? If I had that name, I'd go by Mike also. 
Back in 2000, this 23-year-old man was arrested for robbing a Burger King at gunpoint. And he was sentenced to 13 years in prison. And he, but he was released on bail and told to await orders of when to show up and serve his time. The thing is, the orders never came. He was never told back to report back because of a clerical error. So he was never put in prison. Instead of using his freedom to commit more crimes and go down that road, Anderson actually started his own construction business, became a youth football coach, and volunteered in his local church. He also got married, had three children, and became a well-liked member of his community. So 13 years passed, and 13 years later, the state discovered their error. And Anderson was put behind bars the, bar, the, the time that he deserved. He was behind bars for nearly a year when the case received international coverage and an online peti- uh, petition for his release gained thousands upon thousands of signatures. So after a court hearing that lasted a mere 10 minutes, the judge conceded that Anderson was a changed man and granted him credit for all of the years that he should have been in prison. The teary-eyed Anderson walked out of the courtroom that day with his wife and daughter and told reporters that he was grateful to God that he had changed his life. Here's a guy who was rightfully judged and condemned for the wickedness in his life. But he responded by changing the posture of his life. He was given an opportunity, an opportunity that he could have used towards more wickedness or he could have used to surrender his life to Christ. And I love that it describes how he started volunteering in his church, that it wasn't just about acts of service, but he found Christian community that came around him, that he began a different relationship with God. And as a result, this, this man got to experience a different, a different outcome. Because God had changed his life so drastically, even the court recognized this is a changed man. And so the court changed its posture towards him. It's a great illustration of how God deals with us. We all stand condemned because of the brokenness of our humanity. Without God, we are a wicked people. But in his grace and in his love, he's willing to redeem us and restore us to a people that he can sing over, that he can rejoice with when we change the posture of our lives to welcome him to have absolute supremacy in who we are. And he will use whatever means necessary to get people to that point of welcoming his presence, welcoming his praise. So this morning, I, I don't know how this hits you because these are not necessarily uh, novel concepts. They're not necessarily new things that we need to uh, turn away from the arrogance of our pride and humble ourselves before the Lord 
and praise Him. We know that we need to reposture our lives on a daily basis to welcome Him. But the issue is, will we do that? Will we take the, the steps to do that? Will we take attention? In fact, the, the language of Zephaniah is so drastic, it's so intense, because he's trying to say, wake up, you cannot live this way. You can't be complacent in those areas of your life. You can't have one foot in the wickedness of the world and hope that you're going to, be, uh, you're going to experience all that God has for you in this restored kingdom of his people. So we have to make a choice and we have to live it out in a way that causes transformation that impacts the way we live our lives. So my, my hope for you this morning is, is not that you would just tuck this away as, as great Christian concepts, but that you would allow the Lord to speak to you in a place that he can say, here's a posture of your life that isn't consistent on a daily basis with who I want you to be. Here's a posture of your life that, that isn't the same as those restored people that I want to sing over. I hope that we can deal with those things and let God speak into those areas to begin that process. If you haven't accepted the Lord as your Savior as a starting point, today is a great day to do that. That God can start this journey of taking you from the punishment of His judgment to the beauty of a relationship with Him where He protects you and calls you His own. And for those of us who enjoy that relationship, it's a wake-up call. That how, Are there areas of our lives where we have lived with some complacency or we have allowed some things to creep in, even like those religious leaders in Israel that Zephaniah went after, that allowed pride and greed and some of those things to start to creep in. We need to allow the Lord to deal with those so that we can live as his restored people. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, I thank you that you cherish us to the point that you're willing to even destroy your own people to get us to that point of a wake-up call to realize who you want us to become. Lord God, that you would punish the wickedness of this world so that you can refine for yourself a people who trust only in you and are refined by the love of the Father. God, I pray that we would be marked as those people who posture our lives in a way to receive from you, to praise you, that you can sing praises over us as your adopted and beloved. Lord God, do that work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.